You're the first person, by the way, that hasn't commented on Elliot's shoe. So if you'd like to get that out of the way, please feel free. We can get on like the interview. Them. No laces? No laces. laces That's nice. No laces, no socks. <laughs> okay, welcome once again to the podcast. You'll notice, Elliot, I called it the podcast because I still don't know what I should call this podcast. I, I don't understand so why you're playing this game. Podcast. You have to get in the mindset. It's 32 thoughts. If the artwork isn't ready, the artwork isn't ready. Mm. But this season, we are the 32 thoughts podcast. Get into the mindset. Now, I do have to tell everybody that Jeff has a reason for being a little <laughs> off today. We are taping the intro to this on Wednesday in Chicago, and Jeff is playing Hurt. What happened to you? I've never had food poisoning in my life, and I don't know if it was food poisoning, but I had a very unfortunate incident with my meal last night in my hotel room that, that essentially kept me up all night, and I'm still sort of surfing on the fumes of it. So Not we, great. we took a 6.30 p.m. Eastern time flight from Toronto yeah. to Chicago. We got in locally about 8 o'clock to our hotel. I went out to meet uh, some of our team, Colby Armstrong, Michael Addict and Kelsey Scobie, a couple of our producers, and uh, you went for some fast food, and you lost. Fast food one, Jeff zero. It was Mexican food. Mexican food, okay. Mexican food one, Jeff zero. Had a nice workout. I'm like, all right, this will be great. It's going to meet you guys later on. Nope. Grounded. So Jeff doesn't drink. Nope. He's a vegan. Now, no more Mexican food. I said that. That's a knee jerk. You're, you're going to be like a koala. You're only going to eat <laughs> eucalyptus leaves. So. I'm running out of options of things to eat. <laughs> anyway, so thank you for playing Hurt because you can't see Jeff right now. Amal and I can. You have never looked worse. I just have to tell you. Really? I yeah. I've, I've never seen you look this bad. I'm rattled. That Mexican food rattled me, but uh doesn't matter because there is a podcast on the horizon. And today's podcast, Elliot, is going to feature two Montreal Canadiens and two Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, the two Habs, Tyler Toffoli, who had a real nice season last year, 28 goals in 52 games, and Stanley Cup final appearance. Uh, and Nick Suzuki, who, as uh, Philip Deneau is now a member of the Los Angeles Kings, Nick Suzuki finds himself as the number one center for a team that went to the finals last year. We'll also hear from Mitch Marner, and we'll hear from Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you have a thought, first of all, starting with the Habs players? A thought on Suzuki, a thought on Tyler Toffoli, maybe a thought on the Montreal Canadiens in general. You know, one of the things we talked about with both uh, Suzuki and Toffoli is how you know it was such a crazy year, and it didn't end. The offseason had one bombshell after another. There was Shea Weber possibly never playing again. It appears as if that's where we're going. Carey Price being left unprotected and the uncertainty about whether or not he was going to be taken by the Kraken in the expansion draft. The drafting of Logan Mayu. And then, of course, the offer sheet with Kot Kanyemi. And Suzuki discusses that uh, at length because they're you know friends. And normally in the offseason, you know there could be some big news around the draft or free agency, but it just never ended with Montreal. It all seemed to come from places we weren't expecting. So, you know, the one thing that really struck me about Suzuki and Toffoli in our conversations with them, they seemed really confident. You never know what you expect from everybody mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year. They're in a good mood. They don't hate the media yet. We haven't said anything bad about them. They they yeah. haven't lost a game. 
But both those guys seemed really relaxed. And, you know, the tough thing is, if you're in Montreal now, you know that unless you win the Stanley Cup this year, you can't do better than you did last year. And I think that is a very hard mentality to be around because it's almost defeatist. You're almost setting you up for defeat. Mm -hmm. But I saw two guys there that are in a good headspace and are confident about the way things are. See, I, I just don't think you can think like that. Like, I know sometimes fans think like that, but I don't think you really have a chance to win if you think like that. And it didn't strike me that either one of those guys had a really negative mentality. And Suzuki, I think, of all the young players I've met in the National Hockey League, and I'm 30 years older than this guy, we got nothing in common. I'm really impressed with him the way he carries himself. He's been like that forever. Yeah. He's been mature beyond his years, going back to when he played in Owen Sound. I remember at a top prospects game in, in Quebec City. And the kids are being kids, and Suzuki handled himself, carried himself like a pro player. He's just always been that guy. I mean, Elliot, like his hockey hero is Patrice Bergeron. Mm -hmm. like he's modeling not just his game, but like his life, how he carries himself, how he behaves, how he interacts after Patrice Bergeron. And you can see it. And that guy is in the last year of his contract. And that guy's teammate just got off a sheet of $6.1 million. I think the Canadians <laughs> will be well prepared for this. I think so too. Uh, so you hear from Nick Suzuki. You will hear from Tyler DeFoley as well. Also hear from Mitch Marner before we get to Austin Matthews. We'll hear from Mitch Marner. Last year was a tough one. The playoffs were a tough one, specifically for Mitch Marner. Mm -hmm. Excellent hockey player, supremely gifted, so skilled. And after the playoffs, he was the one that wore it for the Maple Leafs. Yeah. He was the target mm -hmm. of the fans. That's got to be tough to carry into the offseason. I have a lot of thoughts on this. You know, we've talked about this from the moment the Leafs left last year. One of the things that they discussed internally was letting their players know that this coming season was going to be huge. It could be the last one of this group. And I think that goes everywhere. I don't necessarily think that's just the players. I think it's organizationally, front office-wise, coaching staff. Like if they, if they lose again in the first round or don't make the playoffs in a worst-case scenario – it's going to be bad. Like there's going to be multiple, multiple changes. And, and so I think the whole organization has tried to create a sense of we better make this work this year. Like this is this group's last stand. But I think the other thing in particular with some of the players, not all of them, but some of them, I think they're really trying to tell them to block out the noise. You have to stop with the noise. And, you know, Matthews, I really think doesn't care. Like, I think Matthews has that assassin mentality. I really do. I don't think he really cares what's said about him. And I think he just kind of looks at it like what's said is said. I don't care. And I'm going to do what it takes. I think Marner has not been able to do that yet. And I don't say that as a criticism, Jeff. I think all of us have to learn that. Like, I don't know if you saw the Wall Street Journal story this week about Facebook's internal stuff on Instagram, right? Like yep. social media affects people in different ways. There's, there's no question about it. And I had to get to a point where, and I think I've gotten a lot better at this now. Most of this stuff doesn't bother me. Like I remember there was, there were a couple of people that used to tweet at me 
And one of them did it repeatedly. And it was like, every time I see you on TV, I wish that Hitler had finished the job. Okay? Like, I used to get a guy who used to tweet that at me. And, you know, eventually I just said, like, you know what? Like, if someone's going to be that much of an ass that they're going to tweet that at you, then Twitter's not going to do anything about that. Like, they just aren't. So you have to just decide that some loser like that is not getting to your head. Now, I don't shut off my mentions. I think Marner for a time this summer did. I do recommend that to everybody who is bothered by those things. Shut off your mentions. I do have a quality filter I've put on my phone, so certain terms can't come up. But generally, it takes a lot for someone to offend me. Like I used to get things like, um, like when I was heavier before the uh, pandemic started, I used to get jokes about how fat I was all the time too. Stuff doesn't bother me. And I think what you have to do is create an environment, whether it's a filter or turning off your mentions, where you can shut out the noise. Mm -hmm. And I really do think, and some of that from Marner has been his own internal people around him aren't always great for him. But I do think that there have been some things that they've gone online and whether it's him looking at it or people around him looking at it, it's affected him. And I think the Leafs have said that, look, there's always going to be noise. I did ask him about it in the interview. People are going to hear it. Like, you have to say to that noise, yeah. it's enough. Because I think they feel that that is a reason that Marner in some of the big moments where you've seen him kind of crack a bit, it's not that they don't think he's capable and he's still a young guy. I think that that's what they're trying to say to him is we think that the noise that you let get to you mm -hmm. affects you. And I don't think that happens to Matthews. I think Matthews is like, forget it. But I think Marner takes it to heart and they really want him to learn about that. I think part of it for Marner too is he's a Toronto guy who lives in Toronto and so 24-7 he has to be Mitch Marner. Yeah. There's no, too. I can just be, you know. And the contract has affected it. It still casts a shadow. Yeah. It still does. Um, quick thought on Austin Matthews. We'll, we'll start with him on the podcast. Well, I just think that, like I said, I think they feel differently about Matthews that he shuts this stuff out. I think Matthews has gotten better every year. I, look, I don't know what Austin Matthews' future is here. I don't know if he's going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf for his whole career. I believe he can handle this. I think he's got the assassin's mentality. Yeah. And, you know, he, we talk about the wrist. As long as he's healthy, you know, I, I think he's going to have a massive season. We'll start it there. Austin Matthews on 32 Thoughts. There you there, go. I got there. Okay. Podcast. Uh, with Austin Matthews here on the podcast, and before we get into hockey things, I'll have to put a picture of this, Elliot, up on social so people can know what we're talking about. Those may be the coolest shoes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you like them? Can you please uh, describe the, these shoes to people and, and where you got them and what the, the story behind them is? Uh, I mean, there's not much of a story, I guess. They're, uh, they're Louboutins, and they got some, uh, some spikes on the toe and heel, and I don't know, they kind of match my suit, so... 
I don't wear them too often. I figured I'd uh, I'd break them out today. Elliot is the fashionista here on the podcast. No, Austin. I'm not. So let's get your review of the kicks. Well, they match, which is spectacular. Anything I'd be saying to claim I know anything about fashion is total BS. We know you're the true fashion guy of the three of us talking here because we've seen some of the stuff you've done in the past. So were you saving these for this particular opportunity? Yeah, I was just saving them for the uh, the NHL media day. Um, <laughs> they've been locked up in my closet, and I was just waiting for this day. But I don't know. They don't. I don't think they go with a whole lot. But yeah, I don't know. I just I decided I was going to wear this suit, and I was looking for a pair of shoes that go with it, and these just happened to, to fit the criteria, I guess. How was your summer? It was good. Yeah, it was really good. Saw you on uh, various uh, red carpets, uh, whether it's uh, UFC uh, events or or elsewhere. What was the highlight for you? A couple of those UFC fights were, were awesome. Uh, I've never been before, so it was kind of cool to get. Oh, that the, was your first time? Yeah, it was my first time, so it was it was really interesting. Like the the energy and the atmosphere in the arena. It's like I don't know. I've never like experienced that before. Okay, so my first one was UFC 40, uh, MGM Grand Garden Arena. Main event was uh, Shamrock and Ortiz, and I was cage side, and it was the weirdest experience because the first time you hear like a knuckle hit the jaw like that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're not in Kansas. And the guy just shook it off. Yeah. Like, whoa, this is the, cr- I think I threw a punch from the cellar. What was the moment where you said, oh man, I knew it was nasty, but I had no idea it was like this. So like the first time I went to was in Phoenix and I was super pumped about that because my favorite fighter is uh, Israel Adesanya. So he was the main oh, card. The and uh, yeah, he's a stud. So I was super pumped for that. But there was like a couple fights before that. A guy like got his like arm like snapped like hyperextended uh, yeah hyperextended I think he like snapped his like elbow or yeah. dislocated his elbow or something so like just kept like replaying that that was gross and then um, Diaz fought Edwards I think that was uh, like the co-main event and that was a good fight yeah it was a really, was a really good, good fight, fight and he was leaking and I I don't know I just remember I got home and I looked at my <laughs> shoes and I had blood on my shoes no way yeah so I thought it was like the coolest <laughs> thing and I was like it's for sure his blood too because he was leaking a ton but should have worn those today <laughs> I know that, I, I know they don't, they definitely didn't match with this outfit <laughs> but um but yeah it was cool and then I mean the Vegas one was kind of a completely different experience just because of like all the hype with with all that with McGregor Poirier and just all the people that were there. But yeah, it's like a really nerve wracking feeling in there. I feel like it's just the, the, it's like a really nervous energy because it's like nobody knows it's going to happen, but like, you know, like something's about to go down. Like the one thing that I always, whenever I talk to, to fighters, I always ask them, like, what goes through your head when you hear the door close? Like, that's an experience that you know, very few of us in this world will have that experience of there's someone at the other side of this cage. Yeah. There's a referee that might need to save someone's life, and the door just closed. Yeah. Like, you just wonder what goes through someone's mind when that happens. Yeah, I think it takes a special type of person to want to want to hop in there. But, um, yeah, it's I, I really got into it, honestly, when, uh, like, COVID kind of started. And yep. I think UFC was, like, one of the first sports that they were. kind of started, or maybe even the first sport that kind of started back so i started watching and i just really got into it uh, a lot more and yeah the one thing i wonder too is that unfortunately well you had to play last year in an antiseptic environment it was just um you know so quiet no fans i imagine that being there in a wild crowd you must have been saying i can't wait until this happens for us again mm-hmm. yeah for sure um you know, especially in that setting, like you really feed off the the crowd and the energy. But it's the same thing for I think all sports and especially hockey. Like the fans and the crowd have they play such a big role in in just you know creating that atmosphere, whether you're on the road or, or at home. 
Um, so we, we definitely missed having those fans uh, this year, obviously. And, you know, it's not the same. The crowd noise isn't the same as, you know, the real real life fan in, in the arena. If a fighter or a trainer ever said to you, would you like to come into the octagon and try a couple of things? Would you do it? Yeah, I'd love to like practice. I don't know if I'd really want to go in there and like compete against somebody, especially <laughs> no, somebody I'm with experience. Not asking that. Like that's crazy. I think it'd be like my parents. Uh, they do like some sort of like martial arts kind of stuff for like working out, um, and I've done it a little bit, but like not too much. But I, I think it'd be a lot of fun to kind of work that into the routine. To, I guess for like a workout, but also I guess even for like self defense or or whatever that may be. But it's, there's it's a lot, lot of guys that do that. Yeah, like the, like a lot of guys in the NHL for that'll sure. do that as as part of their their workout routine. It's not even just the tough guys either. It's yeah. just, I mean, um, Artemi Panarin is someone who's yeah. trained for a long time. So it must be not- the Russians because I know uh, Galchenyuk. Um, I trained with him in Arizona a little bit the last couple summers, and he even was like, "Yeah, like I go to this MMA gym and I I hit the pads for like 30, 40 minutes, and then yeah. you know I get out of there and I go do my workout." So. Must be a Russian thing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, a little bit of business. Can you just explain the wrist? What you felt like you needed to do, and is this at all something that you or the fans should be worried about? No, I'm, I'm definitely not worried about it. I think um, you know I was kind of nagging me all year, and was able to you know kind of get it to calm down a little bit. And so after the season, we just kind of you know went through that whole process, um, and as you know as a team and. I made the decision just kind of see how it goes, let it heal and, and see if it you know feels any better. And then started skating again, you know, ramping up the skating part of, of the summer and it just didn't really feel right. So decided to get uh, get another opinion and, uh, you know, re-image it and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just cleaned it up a little bit. It's nothing serious. So I'm, I'm happy. At, I'm happy we got it done. And, um, you know, my plan is to uh, to be ready by by the time the uh, the first games uh, first games here. I was having a conversation about you a couple of weeks ago with someone who brought up a really interesting point. And I'm sure there's someone listening to this right now who could probably find out actual numbers on this. But this person I was talking to said, I bet Austin Matthews has the most third assists of anyone in the NHL because it seems he makes passes with the idea that he knows he's going to get it back and it sets up this chain of passing that he knows is going to eventually lead to the puck coming back to him leading to a shot when you make a pass in your mind are you thinking i gotta get in position here because in a couple more sequences i'm gonna let it go i don't know if it, i think about it like that i think it's more just i think i was taught like from a young age it was always like pass and like move yeah. you know pass and like go get open not not like really admiring the pass. so like i think you know i make a pass whether it's in any zone and it's it's about wanting to get the puck back and whether it's from the guy you just pass it to or if he passes it, vice versa, whatever, to another guy, it's it's all about getting open and the game's just so tight now. Like Everybody plays solo defensively, so um, I think that's something that's uh, that's really important, just trying to find space and, and get open for your teammates and, and uh, be able to get the puck back. See, I'm fascinated with this, the, the sort of the idea of the third assist, which doesn't get credited, as we all know. Is there someone that you've either played with or you watch and you say, you know what, this guy made the play, but it's not going to show up on the game sheet? Like, is there someone that consistently does that either on your team or another team that you say, you know what, it's not going to get a point for this, but he made that play? I'd probably say like Bergeron. I think it has to do something with like the position of playing center. So, uh, you know, being like defensively responsible and helping 
break out the puck and then um, maybe catching the other team you know, with a bad pinch or bad gap and then being able to send your wingers or the D that's jumping in on an odd man rush or they can mm-hmm. able, they're able to make plays with each other. So I think a lot of that has to do with maybe the, the position of playing center, but I'd have to go. Uh, I think Bergeron's the kind of guy that, that gets maybe a lot of third assists because he's always in a really good position and is able to kind of break the puck out and get it to the other guys and they're mm-hmm. able to go in and obviously use their skill. How do you look back at the end of last year? Do you think about it much or no? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's hard not to, um, in a sense. But you know, it's also there's there's nothing that I or we can do to obviously change that. Unfortunately, so I really just try not to get too hung up on it. I think we obviously, you know, the first couple weeks after that, it's it's really tough and it's really hard not to think about it, and you know, it really weighs on you. But I think now, I mean, it's it's a new season, it's a new year. There's nothing that we can do to obviously change that. So our focus is is on the present and. Uh, moving forward and, and putting our best foot forward. One of the things I, I've noticed about you, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that I don't think that you really care too much about what's said outside. You care a lot about what you think about yourself, and you I think you have very high standards for your game, but you don't care a lot about what's said outside. You know, your line mate, Marner, Mitch Marner, he's had a lot of trouble with that. Do you help him in that way? Like, say, Mitch, you have to stop caring about what's said outside of here yeah i mean we've had conversations um i think it's tough like everybody's obviously different um and everybody kind of approaches it differently and it's tough i mean we play in a really big hockey market right and people really care and uh that comes with a lot of pros and cons so you know there's obviously a lot of like not very nice things that are going to be said to you on a daily basis and then obviously with how things transpired last year you know you just kind of add fuel uh fuel to the fire but you know, we've had conversations and, and stuff like that, and I know that he's, um, you know, evolving as well and, and progressing. And, you know, I think it's just all about learning from, from the past and, and putting your best foot forward. What was the best and worst thing about playing in the North Division or Canadian Division last season? The worst thing was just having no fans all year. Um, best thing was just being able to play hockey honestly I, I can't really pinpoint anything else but it was just nice to, to play hockey even though you're playing the same six teams over and over again but you know I think it was a lot of fun we made the most of it uh with what we could do with you know the guys and the restrictions that we had but you know it was just nice to play hockey is there one American team you're really looking forward to playing yeah it'll just it'll be fun to go play in like a building like New York or Chicago or yeah. Vegas you know where the the fans and the atmosphere is just just a blast so I think we really miss that as as players having that excitement and that energy in the in the arena so I'm really looking forward to that I was I was talking to one of your teammates and and he was saying there's there's no question that the organization's trying to create a feeling that this is an urgent year that if things don't happen positively this year you know who knows what's going to be a year from now do you guys feel that have you guys been told that yeah, I think we definitely feel that, and I think it's great to to have that pressure. You know, I think sometimes when when your back's against the wall, that's really when you know when it's really against the wall. It's it's when it brings out the best in everybody. So, I'm really looking forward to this year. It's you know, like I said, we're putting our best foot forward. We're moving on, and um, we're all really excited, and we're all extremely uh, focused and, and motivated to uh, to get this season going and, and take it day by day. You always bring something new. What's going to be new from you this year? Fighting. Uh, Huh? Yeah, <laughs> grappling. Yes. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I like to kind of keep that sort of stuff to myself, but 
Um, I think every summer you just kind of go in. It's not usually not super over dramatic. Just work on little things that uh, little tweaks here and there that you know can can be positive to to influence the game and just be better. So um, for me, I'm always just trying to work on on little things, whether it's film or defensively, um, you know, stick stuff, stick handling, shooting. I mean, there's always stuff within the you know the the main categories that you know you can always work on and improve. This has been great. Continued success. Good luck this year with the Thank you. Yep, thanks guys. Pleased to be joined by Mitch Marner of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, Mitch, Elliot loves it when I go into junior hockey mode and ask junior <laughs> hockey questions. You can probably already hear him groaning. The one thing about being a Maple Leaf, as you well know, is people end up finding out a lot about you. And so I texted your old trainer with the London yeah. Knights, Doug Stacy, last night. And I said, is there anything from Mitch's time in London that you think people should know? <laughs> and he's given me permission to yeah. read it to you. So here it is. One, his love of Skittles. And two, <laughs> he says, in all my years, he was the only rookie the vets loved as he would always have the best movies on the bus. Now, I'm guessing by vets, that must have been Domi, Horvat, Zadorov, <laughs> Cherny, and those guys. What do you remember from those days to get started here? And what were the movies? God, that's a while ago. No, I think like the movies at that time, like 21 Jump Street. Yeah. I was a big comedy guy. I've always been a big movie guy. So. Any of the fresh new movies, I was buying them for the bus. More so, honestly, because I want to watch them as well, mm-hmm. but I knew they would like them as well. So any of the new movies that came out, I was not afraid to go and purchase and, and bring them on the bus. And probably I try and refresh the movies every once in a while, probably once once a month or so, I try and go out and get four or five new movies and try and keep surprising the guys. The guys but yeah, yeah, the Skittles thing's uh, worn out a little bit trying to keep my teeth still, uh, <laughs> still good, so I've had to cut that out quite a bit, but... Every once in a while, it is nice to get back into some Skittles. That's not the worst junior question you've ever asked. Just for the, just, stuff just for the record. Hard-hitting stuff So, uh, Mitch, one of the things I heard about the summer was that you and Austin, for the first time ever, you and Austin Matthews were supposed to go in Arizona and, and skate together. Now, unfortunately, Matthews' wrist injury prevented that from happening, but... I was really interested in that. You guys had made the plan for the first time ever to do that, and it's just unfortunate, I guess, it didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah, we, we talked throughout the whole summer. Was, we really did talk a whole lot throughout the summer. And then, uh, yeah, we wanted to get together for about a week or so in Arizona and skate and uh, work out together and kind of just, you know, before the season, really get ready with each other and just kind of work on our, I guess, our, you know, just be in uh, chemistry and make sure it's just ready to be a top notch. And, you know, obviously the injury happened. and But, uh, you know, I was still pretty lucky. I got to go to the, the Montreal camp and, and train with uh, a lot of skilled players there and um, be a part of that. So it was you know, it could be a blessing in disguise, but uh, we got a lot of summers left. Me and Matt's together, so we'll uh, we'll definitely coordinate for next summer and try and make it happen again. You mentioned you guys talked a lot this summer, without getting into the personal stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess what kinds of stuff do you guys talk about? You know, checking in on each other's well being. Both went on a couple of vacations, so just talking about uh, where he went, uh, how it was with the family, and stuff like that. And you know, I guess uh, you know, just trying to always make sure that uh, you know the other guy knows that uh, they're there for each other, and but more so, just trying to make sure that. Uh, you know, we're ready. We're, we're sending each other training stuff and um, just on ice stuff and trying to just make sure we're, we're prepared for this season and trying to be ready for it. All right. I'm, I'm not going to give up this line of questioning. <laughs> What's the on ice stuff that you guys send each other? Because I think fans would love to know what clips you're sending each other. Yeah. I mean, of, you know, I think uh, 
the thing that about me and him that work well is that, uh, you know, we're not afraid to criticize each other and um, trying to make each other better. And for us in the ozone wise, it's just trying to, you know, find holes that we can help each other out with. And um, that's, I guess, you know, if Matt has the puck in the corner, it's me trying to find a spot in the slot to, to help him get the puck out of a situation that he's in trouble with and stuff like that. Just trying to figure out how we can be better in little small areas of getting the puck out of small areas of where teams are trying to really close in and, and take away the space and time that uh, we want. So it's just trying to find spots like that and trying to just make sure each other know that, uh, you know, we're going to be there. You know, uh, when we spoke with Austin, I went down this line of questioning about who's the best third assist guy either on the team or in the NHL. And he talked about Patrice Bergeron. Just the idea of, and you're a playmaker, so you can maybe appreciate this more than other people, is of the guys that you play with or play against where their points aren't going to show up on the game sheet, but they start the play that leads to a red light going off, but they're not going to get an assist on it, the third assist player. Who are some of the best guys at that, either on your team or in the NHL? Austin said, Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a very solid answer. I mean, you know, he is a guy that uh, is usually the guy that starts everything down low for that team and really breaks that team out very well. And obviously when a team breaks out well with the puck in possession, you know, good things are going to happen eventually. So that's definitely a guy that I would say as well. Must be really looking forward to seeing him again this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what? Um, it'll be fun to be back in our division and, and playing against these teams. Uh, it's an exciting year ahead. All right, so we asked Austin, too, how much did you think about last year? How much do you think about last year? Yeah, I mean, you know, my mindset now, it's it's in the past. The group got together, we talked about it, but it's in the past now, we're done with it. Nothing we can go or do now. So, you know, we're back at training camp almost here. Pretty much the whole team's here now, so it's great. Everyone's vaccinated as well. So, you know, no really distractions there. And I think for us, it's uh, we have the confidence in each other. Um, everyone has confidence in that room that uh, we, have a, we have a great team and we brought in a lot of great players this year that I think they're going to complement our team well. So for us, just making sure uh, we're trying to take it day by day, trying to make each other better and trying to just make sure uh, we're ready for anything. The toughest question I have for you is this. People love your game. They really do. They think you're a great player. They think the thing that you have to do to get to the next level is cut off the noise that sometimes maybe you worry too much about what's being said around you. And I think in broadcasting, Jeff and I, we have that too. We get, we definitely don't get it to that level as an NHL player. We get it, and we both have to learn, like, you can't listen to that. How much have you worked? Because I've heard you've talked about internally about that a lot. How much have you worked on that this offseason? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's been really last couple. I mean, I'm just trying to you know, cut out really social media. I mean, it's a big part of our day and age nowadays, but you know, social media is, is great for a lot of things. It can also be bad for a lot of things. So for that, trying to block that noise out, I'm trying to block all the other noise out, but I just know that uh, I got a lot of teammates that have a lot of confidence in me. I got, and I got a lot of confidence in them as well. And I got a family and a bunch of friends around that, uh, you know, are really supportive and loving. And, you know, for me, it's just trying to stay focused on this team, um, knowing that they have the confidence in me to be the player that uh, I can be and, you know, not really worry about anything else. You know, something that, that's sort of similar to that, Mitch, Dante Bichette, who's Bo Bichette's dad, I thought brought up a really good point a couple of weeks ago about the Blue Jays. And he said, the problem with the Blue Jays is that they're a very young team, so they ride that emotional wave. When they win, it's the best thing and all the emotions that come with it. And when they lose, the downs are down. And he said that if a team's going to be successful, they need to be more even the entire season through. Where are you at with 
guarding your emotions and making sure that you don't get too up or you don't get too down just so you can survive a season? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a pretty emotional guy. So obviously, you know, winning when we're winning, it's, it's a great feeling. I think everyone's having a great time. Obviously, when you're in a downslope of losing, then um, the emotions do hit of, you know, you're trying to find that way of getting back into the, the winning mode. But I think Jumbo was a really great part for that last year was, you know, there's a lot of highs and lows throughout the season. It's just about staying even keel throughout it all. And, you know, just realizing that it's not always going to be a pretty day. It's There's mm-hmm. going to be ugly ones that come and it's how you handle those ugly ones and get through them and, and just make sure you're trying to get better through them. How do you do it? For us, I think it's just, you know, like you said, blocking out the noise. We all have a we all have the confidence in each other in that room. And, um, you know, the, the management has the confidence in us as well. And so does Kiefer. So for us, it's just making sure that uh, we don't lose sight of that confidence and, and realize that uh, we are, you know, what we are. I was talking to another one of your uh, teammates the other day, and, and he said that we feel it this year as a group, that this is the year we have to do something or else it's going to be different. And he said that he thinks the organization is trying to tell all the players that, you have to feel this because we feel this. Does all, do all the players feel that? We always expect the best out of ourselves, and that's how a team should be. So I don't want to look too forward into anything right now. we got a training camp coming up now. It's you know Everyone's really excited to get that thing going. And like I said, we brought in a lot of great players. So we just got to take it day by day, see when playoffs come, um, see what happens. But I think as a team, we don't want to look too far ahead. We just want to take it day by day, game by game, um, try and just keep getting better and better and um, realize that uh, it's not always going to be pretty, but you know, just having the confidence in each other and realizing that uh, we can be that team. Uh, let's end on something off the Toronto Maple Leafs page, Olympics. <laughs> How much do you think about it? <laughs> I know the season's on the horizon, but... And who are your line mates going to be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, it's in the back of your head as a Canadian kid growing up, especially in Toronto. You know, you dream about playing for Team Canada and any kind of, you know, U18s, World Juniors, Olympics. Obviously, Olympics is something a kid always dreams of, so... It's in the back of your mind, but um, I don't want to try and focus on it too much. I want to try and just focus on being here and now and try and just make sure that uh, I'm trying to do everything I can to to be the best player I can be for this team and see what happens uh, going forward. Day by day. Exactly, day by day. So, yeah, I don't want to look too far ahead. Just want to take day by day, try and keep getting better, and we'll see when that comes. But uh, it's a couple months down the road, so I just want to try and be here and now and try and just make sure that uh, we're trying to be the best team we can be. Last one for me is, is there anything new we're going to notice from you this year? When will you step on the ice for your first exhibition game, or maybe you save it for opening night, yeah. what's going to be new? What's going to be uh, different? I mean, yeah, we'll see. Um, and every summer I try and just get faster, stronger. Obviously the thing I always talk about is shooting. So yeah. um, I think it's just more so realizing that I have that shot in me. I think it's always just been a thing of mine of uh, realizing as a kid that uh, it's always nice to make an extra pass or two, but you know, trying to cut that out and just realize that uh, I can't be that dual threat and make uh, – you know, goalies think more. Play with the flex at all on the stick? Uh, I haven't really played with it um, since last year. Um, last year, throughout the middle of the year, I went up to 85. Um, that's about it. The thing I'm trying to change right now is get one of my old sticks, you know, kind of in the mix with these true ones and try and get that feeling back that uh, I was using in London. And uh, I've used it a couple times. It uh, feels pretty nice, so we'll see. Like Tiger Woods with the swing. <laughs> yeah. Always exactly. working we'll on see. it. Uh, yeah. Best of luck this season with the Maple Leafs and fingers crossed for the Olympics for you. Thank you guys. Appreciate it for having me on. Tyler Toffoli, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. I'll, I'll open with a similar question to the one we just had with uh, with Nick Suzuki, 
which is what a crazy 12 months mm-hmm. it's been for the Montreal Canadiens. What a crazy season it was. Capped off with the Stanley Cup final appearance. A great season for you as well. No question. More just, can you walk us through what it was like to be Tyler Toffoli, Montreal Canadian last season? <laughs> Mentally, it was the hardest year of my career in uh, the sense of, I guess you could say like the anxiety of sure. not being able to go out, go for dinner, not go get your groceries. Basically, they're you know telling you, my wife did all the grocery shopping and took care of all that. So it was definitely um, a scary feeling of trying to stay away from COVID because if you got COVID, obviously you felt bad for yourself and then you're, you're nervous that you're going to like take your team down in a way. So it was weird, uh, a season I'll remember forever, but then obviously I had a ton of success and, Mm -hmm. um, going into a new team, uh, I didn't know anybody. So, I mean, I knew of the guys, but I wasn't necessarily friends with anybody. So, uh, I was going in blind. So when you got there, I'm, I'm curious about that. You go into a situation where you don't really know anyone and you had a great year. So you obviously felt comfortable. Like who were the guys that you immediately sort of gravitated to? Who were the guys that made you feel welcome and became your buds? So Galley and Lucky, uh, two great guys, um, they're best friends. So I'd play Xbox or, or Call of Duty, whatever with them. Um, that's kind of how I you know, became friends with them was playing uh, video games because you weren't, you know, allowed to really hang out yeah. either. Right. And then Jake Evans, uh, we lived in the same building together, so we'd be, you know, walking the games together and once things kind of lifted a little bit, we started hanging out hanging out a lot more after games and stuff just at the apartment. You know, our girls got along great too, so it, you know, it worked out. You know, cuz the thing is you had other opportunities and some of them I think like Carolina were quieter mm-hmm. places. And you left some money on the table, I understand, and you chose probably the hottest market in the league. Like Montreal, to me, is the most intense place. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize you didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So you really went out on a limb before yeah. last season, Tyler. I think, um, you know, talking with you know, my agent, Pat, um, him being from, you know, Montreal, he didn't push me in that direction in a way. He, he just told me straight up, he goes, if you play there and if you have a, uh, a good year, you're, you know, a star. Basically, yep. I'm like, wow, like that's the complete opposite, basically, of playing for the LA Kings. You know, you can go, you can walk around anywhere, and you know, nobody really notices, nor do they really care. But in Montreal, I'm walking around with my mask on and a hat on and sunglasses, and people still recognize me. <laughs> so it was uh, the complete opposite, basically, yeah. of of playing for the Kings. But I mean, I got I got a taste of it in in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. and obviously in Vancouver is nowhere near like it is in Montreal, but I think that's kind of why I wanted to go to Montreal because the way the market was in Vancouver and um, you know going for dinner and people knowing who you are, it was, uh, it was a cool feeling. So You just wanted your bills to be picked up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not all hockey players are like that. There's a lot of guys that just want to be, I'm going to be an NHL player at the rink, and then when I'm gone, I want to be mm-hmm. just private citizen. So you're not like that. Like you like being a hockey player 24-7. I'm not just citizen Toffoli walking down the street. I'm yeah. Tyler Toffoli. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, obviously with you know me having a good season last year. I, if, it helps. If, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it could it could be different within the, the next few years. But yeah. I just think it's so fun. And, and you're not going to be in the NHL forever. And um, like I said, I've seen kind of both sides of, of the spectrum now and last year was just a lot of fun. And hopefully now that, 
you know we get more fans and and everything kind of is leaning towards going back to more normal it's going to be uh only getting better let me let me ask you one thing about your season and i was going to do this on hockey night in canada doing one ringside game that i did and it was your guys against uh, vancouver uh, and then you're injured for that game so it it the, this hit evaporated i'm going to bring it back here for this podcast spot quiz when you played in the OHL, which team did you haunt the most? I.e., which team did you score the most against? Do I you think, know? I think it was Peterborough. Peterborough Peets, 100%. Yeah. You Very just yeah. haunted yeah. the Peets. Yeah. Last year, you... Playing in the square box. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Dumping in the corner, it's going to yeah. shoot out in front exactly. of the net, right? You exactly. know the deal. Exactly. Um, you haunted the Vancouver Canucks last year. Do you have an explanation as to why? Midas touch for Tyler you Tyler Toffoli Revenge Tour? Oh. <laughs> I, it was funny because, obviously... That was a big topic when I was scoring all the goals, right? Yeah. And it was just one of those things where I, I don't know, like for me, when when I get hot, it's you get hot. I mean, besides, you know, like Ovechkin and whatever, he scores fifty goals in his sleep a year. For me, it's just finding the rhythm, being confident, and I hadn't scored until I went to Vancouver. I think it was like the fourth game of the year, and it, was, it wasn't like gripping my stick too tight. I was mm. like. Damn, am I am I going to score? Or am I like <laughs> am I bust right now? You know what I mean. And new team, exactly, new teammates, exactly. And I scored the first goal. I was like, okay. And then I scored the second, and I scored the third. And it was just like all the boys on the bench. They're just laughing, and and then of, of course the media started going. You know, the revenge yeah. tour. And I was just the whole time I was laughing, and I'm still really good buddies with some of the guys on the team. So it's like. It was like it was awkward, <laughs> you know what I mean? They understand it's a business. Yeah, there's a book to be written about the Montreal Canadiens last year. Mm-hmm. Like, like you've been around a while, you've seen successes, you've seen disappointments, but I don't know if I've ever seen too many seasons that had all in one, and then it didn't end in the off season. There was Weber, there was Price, there's Kotkaniemi. Like, what was the wildest thing that happened as a Canadian last year in, in the off season? I think. When we got shut down for COVID there, um, when Army ended up testing positive, and then we got shut down for a week, I think is what it was. Yeah. And I had just gotten hurt, so I was like, okay, like whatever, it's fine. Perfect, I'm not going to miss as many games. And then we saw the schedule that came out after, and we ended up playing like 17 games in you know, 31, 32 days or something like that. And we were tired. We were burnt out. Everybody kind of wrote us off because we started the season so well, we were scoring goals at will, and then we couldn't score at all. So we literally, would, we were doing everything. So when we came back from the COVID break and we're playing all these games, we were playing well, and then we you know, we got burnt out, slowly got in the playoffs. I think Galley had missed all it. He broke his hand or something. Yeah. So he, he had just come back. I think he played a game in Laval. Yep. Him and Price. Price, yep. And so it was just like, what's what are we in for like we didn't know like Galley probably didn't know how he was going to come back and play after missing two months or whatever he missed and so just going in the playoffs everybody had you know no hope in us you know going against Toronto especially and uh, I think when we we beat them it was like oh you know you know you beat the Leafs they can never you know get out of the first round or something and we're like okay like whatever you know we go to play against uh, Winnipeg and everyone's like oh they have no chance we beat them in four and then it's like Oh, they're playing Vegas. There's no, they have no chance at all. Beat them in six or whatever it was. And it's like, it was almost like never ending. And um, obviously it would have been like the cherry on top to win it all and have, you know, Pricer and, and Webby win. But it's just the way it was. 
that you know that Toronto series and that Toronto comeback was real special and that kicked it all off for you guys. At what point as a team did you get the feeling that we got these guys? For me, I think just seeing how well Pricer was playing, it was just like a matter of time that we were going to start scoring goals. And I think Muzz got hurt in game six. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we're going to Toronto. We're winning game seven. Like I have no doubt in my mind that we're winning because he plays you know, 28 minutes of yep. heavy minutes a night, and he's an incredible defenseman. So I just thought when, unfortunately, he got hurt. But for us, it was like, all right, now let's – finish game six and go to Toronto and win game seven. I wanted to ask you about Weber. Did you know Did you know that this might be it for him as you guys played? I didn't know, but I also, I mean, I still don't really know what is going on. You know right. what I mean? Like I've said to people who have asked me before and, and whatever, you know, what's wrong with him? I'm like, the guy's an absolute warrior. You know, he's played hockey at 230 pounds and played hockey the right way for so many years so we'll see what happens i'm going to montreal here in in a week and i'm sure i'm going to hear um more and i'm going to talk with birds and see what (laughs) see what's going on now you talk to weber right but you just don't talk about that i assume last time we spoke we uh we were talking about the blue jays and how they needed to start winning games and uh (laughs) have they ever have they ever start uh winning some games here i guess Yeah. yeah yeah no but um He's a great guy. Just his presence alone in the locker room was like, you walk in and you're like, well, that's Shea Weber. Like, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> so, Before we wrap up, uh, I'm curious, are you someone that sets personal goals for a season? And if so, do you have any for this year? Uh, not necessarily. I think um, I've always kind of wanted to do better than my previous year. So um, hopefully I can do that this year, but we'll see. I think I'm old enough now in my career that I just want to win games, and the way that I play, I feel like I play the right way. I play two hundred, you know, a two hundred foot game, and um, not trying to sound cliche at all, but um, that's just how I was taught to yeah. to play coming in the league with with Daryl Sutter as my coach. You well, got to play the right way. Or you're not going to play at all. You're not going to play. You're uh, you're playing some American teams now. The division is done. Who are you looking forward to playing the most? I mean, juiciest, of course, the Montreal Boston rivalry. Mm-hmm. But- I'm excited to play Boston, and I'm excited to go back to Staples Center. Yeah, and do that for the first time because I was supposed to go back with uh, Vancouver, and I think it was like maybe two games, and then we would have played there, and then COVID hit. So, you ready for the video? Yeah, my my dad said I'm going to cry, and I said ah, I'll bet you a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> there's one. There's one last one I, I just have for you. Is I heard a great story when you were on one of your junior tears. You had a chance to set a record for most consecutive games with a goal or a point. And I've always been fascinated with Dean Lombardi. And I heard he showed up for this game. Oh yeah. And would you go like minus four with no points? Oh got yeah. Mad? It might have been minus five to be honest. It <laughs> oh. was um, yeah, it was something ridiculous. It was like a 27 game point streak or something. And Futes calls me. And he goes, all right, Ty, Dean and I are coming. We'll see you downstairs after. I was like, okay, awesome. You know, I'm confident. I'm like, oh, no problem. Minus four, minus five, whatever it was. I'm walking out, and Futes is, I swear to God, he's trying not to laugh as I'm walking out. <laughs> and Dean, he's like, I think he said something like, Tyler, I came all the way to Toronto. I th- I thought you're supposed to be good. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And you're my boss. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really nervous. But that's, I think that's got to be Futes' like favorite story about me. 
Uh, we've all heard it. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Shop. It's whenever oh, your yeah. name comes up, that's what. Hey, I got a story about the fall. Oh, yeah. For sure. uh, listen, uh, continued success Thank and you. have a great one with the Habs. Thank you. Year. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Nick Suzuki joining us here on the podcast. Uh, it has been a crazy 12 months for the Montreal Canadiens uh, with all the changes, all the playoff success. And at the end of it, you become a major headline. Can you describe the last 12 months of your life? Because it must have felt like a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. I know you're a pretty low-key guy, but there was a lot to get excited about. And as I mentioned, at the end of it, everybody knows your name now. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy season. Uh, obviously, no one really knew what to expect with the COVID protocols and all that. But it was a, it was a grind of a season from the North Division, uh, all the protocols, lockdowns. There's a lot of... Uh, mental grind as well so yeah it was a crazy year for me getting so close to the Stanley Cup it was a great round for us um, and hopefully we can get back there you know one of the things and I went to one of your games um, in Montreal against Vancouver and the one thing of course no fans there the one thing as a visual that will always stick with me probably just as a weird visual because you never see it in the first period the first puck goes over the glass and the puck just sat there for the remainder of the period till someone yeah. came in and cleaned it up and, and took it away. What was it like playing in empty ranks? Were there any sort of visuals or things that just seemed like really off other than the obvious, no one's cheering like crazy? Yeah, it definitely uh, was really weird. But I felt as the season went on, kind of got numb to the fact that the fans weren't there, but uh, every rank was pretty much different. Like the Sens had cardboard cutouts by the glass. Yeah. Uh, we had like big things that covered all the seats with the logos on them. Uh, so teams kind of tried to change it up and uh, give you something new to look at. But um, once the fans got back in, uh, it was crazy to to me how big of an impact they have. You know, Nick, you know, the season ends in such an emotional way and normally you get time to decompress, but then comes Weber and then the uncertainty over price and then the Kotkaniemi offer sheet. Like the, the craziness just continued. Um, like how much did the players talk in their group chats or whether one to one about everything that happened with the Canadians after the season? Yeah, it was a drama filled uh, off season for sure. I talked to a bunch of guys. I always try to ask Gally because he seems to know. Uh, He's Mister Four One One. He has all the information. He, he yeah. loves getting information. Mister Google now. Yeah. Yes, yeah. He gets uh, all the information from guys, so uh, he's always the first guy I go to. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of drama and anticipation this summer, ending with uh, what happened with KK. Um, so yeah, it was a eventful summer for sure, and uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. First of all, Kakanyemi, did you guys have any idea, or did just the tweet come out and everybody was like, holy smokes. Like, how did that play out? Yeah, I had heard nothing. Uh, and then I was eating dinner at the golf course with my family and my brother said that uh, KK was offer sheeted. So that was the first time I think anyone knew. No one really heard what was coming. So it was a shock to all of us. Did you guys, did you ever call him? Like during that whole, like, did anyone speak to him? Yeah, I talked to him. We talk pretty much like every other day almost, mm. so. He wasn't sure what was going on. Uh, he just had to sign the offer. So it's kind of up to Montreal to see what happened next. Now, you know, you're a young guy. You're still learning about the business. Do you look at it as that's business or do you look at it as that's a shame? 
it's tough because he's a good friend of mine, obviously, but uh, it is part of the business. I kind of learned that pretty quick when I got traded from Vegas right. to Montreal. So that was the first time I ever got traded. So it was kind of, uh, that's when you kind of know that NHL is strictly business and things happen. And uh, it's unfortunate that we lose KK, but he's in a good spot and we add Dvorak. So could be a win-win for both teams. The other one, sorry, the other one I just wanted to ask you about was Weber. Like I, I remember when, when game five was, was over and Tampa was won the cup, it was right below me where everyone went to Weber and we were all sitting there going, wow, what's, this is emotional. What's going on here. Did you guys know that that could be it? I didn't know. I knew he was seeing like trainers in all the time, uh, just getting prepared for even just like a simple practice. He would be getting work done on his, on his body. I don't, I didn't know how banged up he was and, or what he was thinking at that time, whether he's going to retire or try to come back. So talk to him a little bit but just nothing about hockey really you walk into montreal this year and the in los angeles you go in there and there's a ton of pressure it's a been a whirlwind season stanley cup final appearance tremendous regular season you had a great playoff do you feel that there's a lot of pressure on you right now i mean this is montreal you know mecca hockey universe all of it and you're walking in there and all of a sudden it's nick suzuki's the guy do you feel that? Not too much. I mean, like there's always pressure when you're playing for the Canadians. Even my first year, maybe we weren't the best team, but people want to see wins and the players want to give that to them. When we were winning there in the playoffs, it was an uh, unbelievable experience. Just the buzz around the cities. I've uh, never seen anything like that. So mm-hmm. we got a lot of talent that's coming in, uh, a bunch of new guys that will bring a lot of skill and uh, great defense to our team. So uh, I think we're looking pretty good. Like there's some players you can really tell the bigger the spotlight or the bigger the game, the more they love it. The way you play in big games, you just seem to really love that pressure, that spotlight, that expectation. You know, people say that your expression almost never changes even when you're being asked terrible questions on a podcast (laughs) um you know like it's pretty impressive nick and where does that come from was it were you always like that did you have to be taught it you know because you really carry yourself in a way that is well beyond your age yeah i think just growing up i was always uh try to stay even keeled i think i just get it from my dad Uh, my grandpa's the same way Mm mm-hmm I try not to let anything bother me. I kind of learned in junior, uh, you don't want to waste your energy on emotion during the game, yelling at refs or other players. I think you just put all your energy towards the game and just trying to find ways to win. Like what causes Nick Suzuki to lose his temper? Is it Ryan uh, like leaving a mess around the house at the home or something like that? It's, I'd say it's pretty rare. Um, yeah, me and my brother have had some heated stuff and mini sticks, <laughs> but like playing video games with buddies, all that kind of stuff. But on the ice, I'm always having fun no matter what. So I'm pretty happy out there on the ice. Okay, let me see if I can find one thing. <laughs> Brady Lyle, old teammate of yours. Yeah. He's already smiling, so you've got something. All right, I think I might have something here for each. So Brady Lyle, <laughs> Providence Bruins. I know you're a big fan of Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. Huge fan of Patrice. And for good reason. Like, why not? Yeah. If you're going to emulate a player in the NHL, that's a great one to choose. Brady Lyle, your buddy, former teammate, playing for Providence. 
Yeah. You know where I'm going. Boston Bruins organization. Where's number 37? Yeah, he does. What does Nick Suzuki think of that? <laughs> well, he's not getting in Boston if he makes it. <laughs> I wore that in junior, so uh, I think it's a good number, but Brady's uh, definitely have to switch it up uh, if he's going to make the Boston Boston team this year. Did you ever give him anything for uh, saying, hey, man, you're in the Bruins organization. You can't wear 37. Yeah, I talked to him a bit when he got it. My other buddy, Sean Dersey, wore 37 in Ontario, too. Oh. So both of them wore my junior number. So, yeah, it's pretty funny. Thought I had something there. That was good. Thought I was going to get it. That's, that's about the, the biggest rise I think I can get out of you, out of you <laughs> Nick. Uh, one of the things we've been asking a lot of the players is um, good and bad of the Canadian division. It was a unique year, a unique division that you played in. We won't see it again. Uh, the good and bad of playing in the Scotia North Division, or as we just colloquially call it, the Canadian Division from Nick Suzuki? Good part. I thought the travel was pretty easy. Um, just staying in Canada, not crossing the border, during, especially during the COVID stuff was a lot easier instead of going through customs and <laughs> yeah. all that kind of stuff. I don't know, the bad part, playing the same team. I think we played the Leafs like, I don't even know, 17 times. You were sick 18 of those times. guys after a while. <laughs> yeah, like... Just the amount of times we played them, um, it maybe kind of got a bit stale, but I thought games were competitive throughout the whole year. I wouldn't say there's too many bad things to say about it. I, I wondered, you know, I want to go back to after game four of that series. You guys are down 3-1. You just lost two in a row at home. What happens in the aftermath of that game and maybe in the 24 to 48 hours before game five? The biggest changing point uh, was... We had a great team meeting uh, the day after we lost uh, game four. Just had the older guys talk about how uh, special of a group we were, uh, how close we were, and that some of these guys would never have a great chance like this ever again. Just like that moment, everyone really dialed in and knew we had to come back in the series. Uh, We knew we had a far way to go, but just needed to win one on the road and then never lose game six at home. Uh, That was a thing that I learned in Guelph. Uh, So I knew once we won game five, uh, we'd be in good shape to make it to the game seven. What was the the one thing that stood out to you the most in that conversation and who said it? Um, I think it was Eric Stahl just talking about like he was traded here and then he just felt welcome right away. He knew how special a group uh, we had. He knew we could go all the way and him, Weber, and Price just talking to especially all the young guys, like we didn't really know what to expect. And Webby and Pricey hadn't make it, made it to a Stanley Cup final before. So um, just doing everything we could for those guys uh, is what all us young guys wanted to do. <laughs> it's like letting down your grandparents. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's the one player that you think we don't talk about enough on your team? I mean, the obvious guys get the headlines and there's yeah. superstars and future Hall of Famers. Who don't we talk about enough? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we have a lot of underrated guys. I'm a big fan of guys just playing their role to perfection. Like guys like uh, Lekkinen, he's a great player, hard on the penalty kill, tough to play against, definitely doesn't get enough credit. And then Jeff Petrie is awesome. I know he's been getting more media and stuff like that now, but he's a horse back there. He's easily plays 30 minutes a night, and he had a great Great two seasons since I've been on the team, so uh, he just seems to be getting better all the time. Now, when you first saw the red eyes, (laughs) 
Like what was <laughs> what was the team's reaction? Because I know we saw it, we were like, holy smokes. It was after the game because he missed the the one game in Montreal and no one really knew. And then someone was like, wait till you see Petey. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I, I had no idea what to expect. And then all of a sudden he came in and like when you guys saw it, it was a little bit better. So like when we saw it for the first time, it was a lot worse, like just straight red eyes, pretty scary to look at. And he's like squinting like he can't. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But uh, yeah, playing through that must have been pretty Unbelievable. tough. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, it's a big season coming up for you. Um, big season for the Montreal Canadiens, considering what happened last year. What are you most looking forward to this season? I know it's a short off season and just time to heal up and get your strength back and, and get going again. But what are you looking forward to the most? I think I'm just looking forward to kind of almost getting back to normal. We're not there yet, but having the fans there for hopefully opening night would be amazing. I think we brought in a lot of great players uh, to replace some of the guys that left, and I'm really looking forward to camp, uh, meeting those guys, and I think there's going to be a ton of excitement around the city, and uh, that's going to translate well into the locker room. Hopefully everyone's uh, ready to go this year. How many fans were there really in the building? At the end, I don't know. I think well, they, I think they said like fifty five hundred, but uh, yeah. they might have let a, a let a, <laughs> let a few in. people slip I, in. I was born at night, but not last night. <laughs> That's uh, but it was listen. It was a, a great run uh, to follow. Thanks so much for this, and best of luck this year with the house. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. there's another interview pod here on 32 Thoughts. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Mitch Marner, uh, Austin Matthews, Tyler Toffoli, and you just heard from Nick Suzuki uh, for stopping by the podcast. More of these uh, on the horizon uh, as we interview more players uh, here in Chicago. Taking us out is Nicholas Godin from his 2019 record, Concrete and Glass, and he just released an expanded version of this album in June. Here's Nicholas Godin with The Border on 32 Thoughts, the podcast.